us our Sunday morning lesson. He's a great preacher, so we'll enjoy uh, hearing from him whatever he has to bring. Uh, let's see. So last week, we finished up 1 Peter chapter 4. And we began with uh, kind of some unpopular messages that, that Peter wanted to share with us. First one was suffering, and then we finished up with this lesson on judgment. But Peter is really practical in that he is dealing with these churches and people he knows with real-life issues and real-life situations. Uh, and his early Christian audience, those people were facing significant trials. We've talked about that in the, uh, in the weeks past. So Peter's words are really meant to be an encouragement. It's just keep on keeping on. Keep on with Jesus. Keep on doing good. Keep on putting in a good work for Jesus. And we, when we do this, not only is it pleasing to the Lord, but we can expect special help and blessing from Him. So he says these words. So then to those who suffer according to God's will, they should commit themselves to their faithful Creator, continue to do good. With all of our drama, with all of the messes, both the messes that we cause ourselves and the messes that come to us and we don't even know the reason for these messes, we commit all of those things. We commit all of those things to our faithful Creator. Peter is saying, any suffering you go through, you let God carry that. And you just keep on doing good in the name of Jesus. That's our task. Keep on doing good in the name of Jesus. Whatever your circumstances are, it doesn't matter. You keep on doing good in the name of Jesus. Well, in this morning's text, Peter begins now by addressing elders. And Peter has in mind simultaneously that elderly members of a congregation. Our congregation is filled with elderly men and women. And so there, that is an appropriate context. But I think even more specifically, He's talking about the elders that are chosen and set aside for leadership in specific congregations. So he says this. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Notice how Peter addresses these elders, not with apostolic authority. He doesn't claim the apostle card. It's almost like he recognizes that somehow his role is changing and the role that matters now is these elders for leading a local congregation. So he doesn't come with apostolic authority. Rather, he comes as a peer alongside a fellow elder. And even Peter's role as a witness, it wasn't, he wasn't appealing to the glorious things that he saw and witnessed. The miracles, the power. His appeal is to the suffering of Jesus. And that's the witness that he wants to share. Your God who suffered on your behalf. It's tied to not the glory of God, but the glory of God through the Humility and humiliation of Jesus. And then Peter wants his fellow elders to know what he knows. Namely, 
that after suffering, there's going to be glory. There's glory coming. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So now Peter gets very specific about the quality of leadership that our church is supposed to have. And the word art image that Peter builds off of is a very common word art image uh, in scripture. And that is the image of a shepherd and sheep. And we are to be following in the footsteps of the good shepherd. Well, shepherding is humble work. It was humble work in the ancient world. No one was really fighting over this position and this role. You know what? What I want to be when I grow up, I want to be a shepherd. There weren't very many people that said that, even, even in the ancient world. And I think sometimes we don't fully understand the implications of this humility, of, of this image, that it's an image of humility. So to help remove any ambiguity, Peter, he gets very specific here about what the qualities of our elderly people should be. So eldership qualities, not out of obligation, but willingly. Not greedy, but with eagerness to serve. Not heavy-handed, not heavy-handed, but as examples. So sadly, uh, a lot of leadership in our church today, uh, it reflects our cultural priorities more than what the Bible calls us to, I would say. Uh, so sadly, in our day, churches have been enamored with what we call the ABCs of church growth, or the ABCs of a healthy church, which are these. The metric that we, that we measure the health and success of a church has too often been the ABCs of attendance, buildings, which is your assets, physical resources, and cash, cash reserves, cash on hand. Sometimes people call it triple B, building, bucks, and bodies. And when you equate church health with the best and bigger and better facilities, with growing contributions, with more people inside the building, more people coming, tend to lose and overlook the humility of shepherding. And we, instead, a lot of times, we choose a leadership that reflects something more akin to a corporate business model. And the more a church is successful in growing their attendance and growing their buildings and growing their cash reserves and the weekly contribution, it seems the more likely a church is willing to put up some with a pastor or an elder or some leader who acts more like a dictator and who is heavy-handed. And heavy-handed leadership is often very more, uh, much more efficient than what Peter is talking about, what Peter's inviting us to. So a modern-day pastor or teacher of a church 
is expected to be a motivational speaker uh, to deliver religious feelings and experiences and to help manage and cultivate uh, all of these programs that create a certain experience that's to be consumed and enjoyed. You are the consumers out there. I am a producer here. I don't, that's such a crass way to talk about this. That really bothers me. But a lot of times, churches get caught up in these things, the ABCs, and we miss the D, and the D is the most important. What about the D of discipleship? You can have growing attendance, bigger, best buildings, facilities, and all kinds of cash sitting around, and there's no discipleship taking place, and our churches are gutted of their youth and our young people because we don't have discipleship. You can have attendance buildings and cash and still not have transformation into Christ's likeness. Still not have the Holy Spirit. Still not have love. Growth into a community of love. Peter's words, they speak against this. It's really a stinging rebuke of a CEO model of leadership that oftentimes captivates our churches. So let's look at these qualities a little more closely. Not out of obligation, but willing. These are leaders who said, Lord Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth it. Somehow in their mind, anyone who serves as an elder has to come to terms with this. There are a lot of godly men who come up in the church who people would follow, they respect, they would listen to them. But they have said, I don't want this. Who wants a headache like this? Who wants to deal with this kind of drama? And they have said, in essence, thanks, but no thanks. You are going to answer to Jesus Christ. But there are some who have said, Lord Jesus, your church is worth it. Your church is worth it. Any of the headaches that come, the challenges that come this way. If you have found a godly man who has a godly woman in their godly family, and they have settled in their heart that the Lord's church is worth it, that's the kind of leader that you want. That's the kind of shepherd that you want in front of your congregation. Not greedily, but with eagerness to serve. So greed, we would think, is more of a problem for those who are, and I saw this in Africa, predominantly coming from a very poor and impoverished kind of background and system there. Uh, you know, it's subsistence farmers with grass grass roofs, mud brick houses, and dirt floors. And uh, there's a temptation that can come with leadership being in charge of resources of multiple people that maybe we don't have that kind of greed in the same way in our churches, but it still exists in different ways. There are still people who become leaders
leaders in churches that are asking questions like, what am I going to get out of this? Maybe it's kudos, maybe it's praise, maybe it's fill in the blank. But service is to characterize leadership within the church. And Jesus talks a lot about this. When he says, who is the greatest among them? What does Jesus say about servants? What does he say about little children? Think about those words too. And then not heavy-handedly, but as examples. This is leadership who has let go of a controlling spirit. I have got to squelch that. I have got to set that person right there. You know what? What I've loved about this eldership is they pray for you. And they want to be your encouragers and they want to encourage you in good things. It is a joy to be a minister under that kind of leadership and that kind of eldership. And I'm not saying our elders have done things perfectly. I'm not saying there's not history and mistakes haven't been made through the years or anything like that. I'm just telling you the way that I swear from where I stand and what I experience. I got I get a lot of encouragement. So I, I just went to my elders to the side the other day, and I I have a kind of relationship with them that I can say, you know what? I'm tired. I think I'm dealing with some kind of depression. I just feel young in my spirit. I don't have and they stopped our meeting and our discussions. They surrounded me. They put hands on me. They prayed for my energy. That's the kind of leadership the church needs. That's the kind of leadership that the church has to have. With all the things that get thrown our way, with all the things that we have to deal with, it's not glamorous work, shepherding.
because of their desire to hear the words from the mouth of Jesus himself. Well done, good and faithful servant. So now Peter goes from talking about elderships and the elderly of the congregation, and now he wants to talk to the other end of the spectrum. Young men, our younger people, young men, young women, in the same way be submissive to those who are older, who are older than you. Okay, so we got to talk about some dirty words, some bad words in the English language. Submission is one of the worst in this culture. You don't want to submit. When we hear that word submit, we it brings to the forefront, it conjures up all of these images because we've seen the abuse that happens. We know that people, men who have taken these kind of words and used them in chauvinistic ways to shove them in the face of women. It's not what Peter's talking about with submission. Lording it over people, putting them under their thumb. Images, when we hear the word submit, it's images and this history of masters dominating slaves, of business owners in our modern day ruling, lording it over their employees with little consideration of the worth or well-being of those who are working under them. So further, not only is submission a dirty word in our culture, so is the object that we're supposed to be submissive to. We do not live in a culture that respects old people in the United States of America. We do not respect our elderly. Not compared to what I've seen in other places and other cultures. And I think you can tell something about the health of a society by how they care for their weakest members. How a society cares for those who are youngest, how a society cares for those who are oldest, who are maybe broken mentally. That speaks to a health of a society. So we live in a country that wages war against the unborn. The homelessness that plagues our streets here in Eugene, it's, it means something. It speaks something to the health of this place that we're living in. And when we live in an environment that treats the elderly with contempt and neglect, that means something too. In a capitalist society, your value is based on what you produce. Have you noticed that? Your value to this place and this culture is it's based on what you're able to do and what you're able to produce. What goods are you able to produce that this society values? Your worth is exactly tied to that. That's what this world says. Not so what Jesus says. You have worth and intrinsic value, whether you know it or not. You could be the you could be crooked and depraved in so many ways, and somewhere inside of you, there is an image of God. And you have intrinsic value. And that value is glorious and it's precious to the Lord. Well in a capitalist society, when you stop producing when you retire, when you get out of there, 
when you stop being able to play the game at that level, you're not valuable that our elderly, they don't have intrinsic value. Our elderly is viewed as people who suck, are suck on time and energy and resources. The only value to our elderly is in terms of the assets that they possess. That it would sure be nice if they would pass those on to people that need them more. Again, we would never say something so crass like this. This is the way our society functions in a lot of ways, in the way that old people are viewed. Because we have generations of people who are living like it's all about me. And we all struggle with this. We all do. I struggle with this. And when it's all about me, we lose our ability to listen to other people. We lose our ability to value other people. value of our old people, we disconnect ourselves from a sense of history, a sense of purpose, a sense of place and belonging, from the possibility that maybe these people have some wisdom and they've seen some things go around. So now I look at, I look at the world around me today, and I see young people who are plagued with anxiety, plagued with anxiety, plagued with mental health issues. And I look, what has changed? What has gone? What's gone missing here? We have generations of people who don't know what it's like to sit on the front porch with grandma snapping green beans. If we had more of that, we'd be living in a different world, I think. We have generations of people who don't know what it's like to sit in the fishing boat with Grandpa and listen to him tell stories about way back yonder. We have families who don't know what it's like to sit around the table and share a meal together, at least not with a TV blaring or something like that. The things that have been lost. But within the church, it is our joy and, and, and to our benefit to preserve things that this culture has lost, to honor things that this culture no longer honors. So Peter, he commands us in the Lord's church, in church, you submit to those who are older than you. And when we learn to submit, it does amazing things to our relationships. Because really what Peter is talking about here is humility. And humility, it makes space for love to grow. It's miracle growth for relationships. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. He admonishes us again, Peter. He's talked about humility a lot in this letter. Because we have a hard time with this. And we think maybe, you know, I can maybe learn humility with God. He is the creator of the universe after all. Maybe I can be humble to him. Okay, God, here's your kudos. 
humility with brother so-and-so? Lord, not that guy. No thank you. Have you heard the words that come out of sister so-and-so's mouth? It's like nails on the chalkboard. Or whatever. Fill it. Just not humility with that. We've got to take care of that. We've got to deal with that situation. Humility is supposed to characterize the relationships within the church. And then if, if that doesn't, if humility is not true about us, to that extent, we have made God our enemy. It's not like God is actively sitting back, okay, just let it happen. It says he opposes. He opposes. Actively stands against. But for those who embrace humility, he is active in blessing that, active in helping that grow, active in cultivating that, and active in blessing the fruit of humility in our lives. And it's a source of grace. It's a source of grace that we can connect to. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up, not life you up, I guess your life up, may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So one of the chief tasks in learning humility is just trusting that God actually cares about you. Is God just a watchmaker, winding up creation, setting it loose? Where does your anxiety sit in your body? 
But Peter admonishes us, resist him. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We have solidarity with, solidarity with other Christians because of the trials that we face. We have solidarity with other Christians throughout this world who have taken up the name of Jesus. We don't even speak the same, the same language. We don't have the same culture and understanding. And at the point of fact, they might be dead and gone because they're from another time in history. And they might not yet be born because they haven't come to be. And yet we stand in solidarity with all who take up the name of Jesus Christ. You see, one of the ways the devil attacks us is he wants you to feel isolated and alone. No one understands me. No one gets me. Nobody cares. There's one who knows exactly what you're going through. Whether you're a mother of young children, whether you're an old person who's lonely, missing a spouse who's passed away, whatever your circumstances, whatever the situation, there's one who knows exactly, exactly what you've gone through and where you're at. Even Christ Jesus. And when that thought, Jesus knows my pain, He knows my struggle, He knows what I'm going through, when we begin to believe that Jesus knows that God cares, then we look up and we notice there are other people too who have taken on the name of Jesus Christ, who are standing up for Jesus. And it's meant to be an encouragement to us. You do not stand alone. Not when Jesus Christ is Because Jesus helps us find each other. Jesus helps us discover each other. We have solidarity one another. And that's meant to be a great encouragement for us. You know, thanks, uh, start working on me. I'm going to have to make work this morning. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So this is a prayer of benediction. That's the way that Peter ends his letter now, of course, with this benediction. I hope you've enjoyed this series.
back to this idea of humility, and I know I talk about this humility stuff quite a lot, uh, but there's such treasure here. There's such treasure here for us. So it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hands. Then Peter goes on to say, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. These are words that James uh, said and thought as well. So you got Peter and you got James. They're quoting the same proverb, talking about the very same things. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's from James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. They're both quoting the, the same proverb. Um, I think it's Proverbs 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 34, or something like that. The same proverb. God opposes the proverb and gives grace to the humble. Jason, you can come up. I'm just offering my invitation a second. Historically, the sin most associated with the devil and his downfall, do you know what that sin is? Historically, that's what people have seen. Lucifer, his name means Lord of Light, glorious in power and in beauty.
better job. Thank you very much. This is pride. And pride is not so much uh, elevating yourself above others. It's it's more you don't recognize and value God or other people around you enough. But the virtue that has the greatest power against your pride. Everything better everywhere it goes. It is the virtue of humility. Because a humble person is a person who is able to trust God in faith. You know what faith is? It's trust. It's trust that God has gotten right in his mighty hand. First of all, God cares. He's going to take care of me. Second, he's got the power to take care of us. You can rest in that. How's the devil attack that? There's no way left for him to attack. Because that humble person is saved in the hands of their heavenly father. And that's what we're invited to in Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter in his word heart wants us to remember.